All right, I think we've got our recording stuff going. So turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we're just continuing on, and every time I kind of get a little nervous, maybe, Lord, we need to change our diet just a little bit because we've been in Revelation a pretty good while. The Lord just keeps saying, just keep on going. Keep on going. Be faithful to this study we started. And so we're going to continue on in Revelation chapter 12. Amen. Uh, we did chapter 11 last week, and we learned about uh, God will always have a witness in the earth, and uh, what a great lesson that that was. And so today in Revelation chapter 12, I think the title that we'll call this will be Chosen by God. That's what we're going to see in this chapter uh, of Revelation chapter 12, is that there are people and even nations that are chosen by God. Amen. So as we've got our places there, let's pray over this word this morning before we start and, and ask the Lord to help us to make through it. Amen. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, as we open thy word, we open the scriptures of truth. Hallelujah. Lord, as we come to you humbly today, Lord, we ask you to give us the, the ears and the heart and the mind to understand. Give us the ability to proclaim your word today. And may the hearers be enlightened, Lord, by your word today, that there is a chosen people. Hallelujah. And that whom God chooses is chosen forever. And that nobody's going to change that. So, Lord, we ask you for your blessings upon thy word today and help us as we minister your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 12, and like I said, it's, it's, I'm titling it this, uh, Chosen by God. And uh, we're going to see that the nation of Israel is spoken of here in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. And uh, I think it's very interesting how it just so happened to, to pan out when they were putting the uh, uh, the English Bibles together and they wanted to put chapters and verses to help people find their place better that it ended up being chapter 12, which is the number of Israel, right? It was uh, pretty neat. So uh, Re Revelation 12 and 1 says this, and I'm going to take our time this morning, go through several things that we need to talk about through these verses. So Revelation 12 and 1 says this, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now the woman, of course, we know is representative of the nation of Israel, the nation that was chosen by God. Now, there's a lot of people that, uh, in today's age that we, we act like a bunch of little kids that if, if one kid gets something and the other one has to get the exact same thing, but God doesn't operate that way. Sometimes God chooses people and chooses to do things for certain people that he does not others. And uh, some people may not believe that, but you start reading the Bible, you see it very plainly. The only thing that God gives all of us that's, that's uh, uh, exactly the same across the board is the salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. He offers it to all of us, okay? But there are things uh, things in the earth that God does, that it's chosen by God. And this woman does represent the nation of Israel. God chose these people for a reason. The main reason was that he uh, chose the, their, their founding father, I guess you would say, Abraham. Abraham was a faithful man and he followed God and he obeyed God and he listened to God's commands to what he was supposed to do and how he should live and all those different things. And, and God made Abraham a promise. Amen. He chose him out not because they were greater than all the nations of the earth, but because he loved them, amen. And so it came down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, this, this chosen nation, uh, this woman that's represented here in Revelation, it said there that she was clothed with the sun. Uh, I just jotted this down. Her brightness was a glowing example to all the world. 
Now the sun by far is the brightest light in the day sky, yet it is merely clothing for God's chosen nation. You say, we go out and look out and the brightest thing that human beings have ever laid our eyes on is the sun in the day sky. But here she is represented, the nation of Israel, is just simply being clothed with the sun. The clothing is not near as important as what's under the clothing, right? That's what's important. So then it says it was the moon was under her feet. Even in darkness, she still is an example to the whole world. The moon by far is the brightest light in the night sky, yet Israel has the moon as her footstool. Praise God. Hallelujah. What God has chosen, He will not take back. God doesn't change His mind on whom He chooses. Amen. And see, we have to understand that. So is God's shining example of a chosen people and His promises kept. How many knows that in the nation of Israel, they blew it on several occasions and they failed and lots of things going on. And at the very time this was being written by John the Revelator, the Apostle John was writing these things, they were scattered all over the place. Amen. <clears throat> The Roman government had come in and, and spread them out everywhere and they'd been taken into all different territories of the world at the time. But God is showing John here through this revelation. He's showing that I will keep my promises. I'm not going to break my promise just because people are unfaithful. God remains faithful even when we're unfaithful, praise God. And it's God's chosen people, Israel. And then it says there in the last part of that verse, it says that they had a, uh, she had a garland of 12 stars. This no doubt represents the 12 sons of Jacob, which was his name was later changed to Israel. Remember when he changed his name. <clears throat> God changed his name, amen. And it's often referred to uh, as the 12 tribes of Israel or the children of Israel. This was the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it was fulfilled in eternity. When he looks and he sees this woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a garland around her head that has 12 stars in it. It's representing that God will forever be make a remembrance of the nation of Israel and the promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It will be settled in heaven forever. And I'll give you a good example of this. We talked about it a few weeks back. The names of these children of Israel, they're on the 12 gates of the holy city, heavenly Jerusalem. So the city that will abide forever, where God will live forever with His people, those gates on that, those 12 gates in that holy city are going to have the names of the sons of Jacob. Hallelujah. God will keep His promise to whomever He makes it. And whom He chooses, nobody, not even the devil himself, can change it, can He? Amen. Amen. Something to remember when we're talking about the, the Israelites, the children of Israel, the 12 tribes. It's not because they were perfect, but because God promised. And it's the same for you and I. It's not that we're completely perfect, but it's because God has promised. If you'll put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have a home in eternity with me forever. It's as simple as that. Put our trust completely in Jesus Christ. Does that mean we always get it right? No, we don't. And the more honest we'll be with ourselves and everybody else, we'll admit that I'm not perfect. But praise God, I know the one who is. Amen. I know Jesus Christ who succeeded in everything that he set his hand to do. Praise God. And he won my salvation. We sang about it a while ago. My victory is in Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. So what God has chosen, let man not reject. What God has chosen, do not let man reject. 
The Bible says in several places, and it alludes to it. It's actually just said in one place, but it alludes to it in several other places when he was talking to Abraham. In you, Abraham, and in your descendants, I'm going to bless the earth. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That's a chosen people. That means you're chosen by God. See, a lot of people would say, well, that's a conditional on if they did this, this, and this. He said it wasn't about conditions. He has punished the nation of Israel for the wrong that they've done, but he's also going to keep his promise, praise God, because it is not a conditional promise when God chooses you. Amen? When God chose you in Jesus Christ, he's not going to throw you back to the wolves for every little mistake we make. Praise God. Hallelujah. Verse 2 says this, then being with child, she, talking of this nation, this woman clothed with the sun, then she being, uh, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. She was with child ready to give birth, and it reminded me of this morning, I jotted this down, reminded me of that verse. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, he gave us his son, Jesus. We just sang about him. Three different songs. We just sang the song, What a Lovely Name, the Name of Jesus. This here is John getting to see in eternity what was happening probably even before the world began. All these things played out in the spirit long before they were manifested in the natural. Amen. So he is beginning to see that there was this great lady this woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a uh, 12 stars around her head, amen. And all of a sudden now she's ready to give birth. Praise God. And she labored in pain, ready to give birth. And then he switches gears just slightly for a moment to show us that there is resistance to God. There is a resistance to what God is doing in the earth, amen. There is a resistance, and we see it here in verse 3. <laughs> And, be, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads, which some of the Bible say uh, seven crowns. This is simply describing what the devil is, our adversary, our enemy. He's been an enemy of God for a long time. He's been an enemy of God's people for a long time. And look what he does here in verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. One third of the angels were deceived by the devil. The devil is ruthless. He stood before the woman waiting to kill her son. And we have to stop and think about how many schemes and how many plots and how many things had the devil tried to play out from the time of creation until the time Jesus was born. He tried to interrupt this plan. Did everything he could to stop it from happening. But when God says, this is my chosen, nothing can change it. Amen. The schemes, that the, the, ruth, the ruthlessness of the devil that he wrought upon the nation of Israel to prevent the Messiah from being born. Yet I want you to think about this. I jotted this down this morning as well. Yet when he could no longer prevent this Messiah from being born, he was ready to utter, utterly destroy the innocent child the moment it was born. Look how it's worded right there. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
The devil doesn't care about anybody. This woman was laboring and in pain. He didn't care about her pain, did he? He didn't care about the fact that she was in labor and travailing to give birth to this son. He just wanted to wait till it was born. And the moment that it was born, devour this son that she would give birth to. What was it that Herod did after he found out the son, the, the child had been born? He sent to the city where he had been born and said, kill everybody from two years old and under. You know what the devil does? When God's getting ready to do something in this world, you know what God does? I mean, you know when, the devil, when God is getting ready to do something, what the devil does? He destroys the children. He tries to murder children. What did Pharaoh do in Egypt? When he took a decree to kill them all when they're born. The male sons kill them all because he knew God was going to use Moses. What happened when Jesus was getting ready to be born? He wanted to seek all and kill all the children. I want to ask this question, and I know you and I already believe this, but maybe somebody will listen to this who's still on the fence about this thing called abortion. When man seeks to destroy innocent children through abortion, whom is he serving? If you find somebody, maybe a Christian, arguing with you about whether it should be right or wrong to murder or abort a child, even up and now they're saying, even to the point of death, we'll let them be born and lay them on a shelf and let them suffocate and die. You need to say, won't you go read Revelation 12 and 4 and tell me who you're following. Amen. We've got to quit being so uh, uh, passive about some of these things. This is a true evil that's going on in our world. There's a lot of things that people cause evil that's maybe just here and there. But this is a bad thing we see whose playbook they're using right here in Revelation 12 and 4 to devour a child as soon as it's been born. It had done nothing to deserve it, amen? It was just simply being brought forth. And here the devil was ready to destroy it because it didn't meet his criteria and what his plans wanted to be and what he wanted to get done in the world. So this thing of this convenient it's not convenient for me to have a child right now is utterly and utmost against God and His plan for life. Amen? Amen. So when man seeks to destroy innocent children through abortion, wonder who they're serving. We know the answer to that. Verse 5. It says, Then she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up to God and to His throne. Jesus, he was born an Israelite. He was of the, of, of the tribe of Judah. He was born out of a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, and now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And John's getting to see it right here. He was called up to God and to His throne. It was mentioned in our testimony from our brother just a minute ago when John looked and he saw the one who sat on the throne. But then just a little bit later, he looked and in a closer view, there was also another one in there with the th in the throne, a lamb as though it had been slain. The Bible teaches us that Jesus has now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high there to make intercession for us who believe in Him. Praise God. And that's what He sees right here in verse 5. Praise the Lord. Verse 6, it says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed there 
Uh, feed her there 1,260 days. And this is just simply describing a temporary hiding place for Israel. It was just a temporary thing that she's going to be tucked away and hid away uh, from, the wrath of this, from the wrath of this dragon. Amen. Now verses 7 through 10 all kind of go together, mainly 7 through 9, and we'll talk about those. Verse 7 says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with them. I like in, in my Bible, sometimes it gives you a little reference to some of, uh, some of the earlier Bibles that were written in different languages. And in verse 8, when it says, but they did not prevail, uh, one of the other languages translated that, it says, they were not strong enough. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. They weren't able to overcome God. Amen. So this tells us in verses 7 through 9 that there's no place for Satan or his angels in heaven anymore. And we learn here that this devil, this one called Satan, he's the one who deceives the whole world. When people are deceived and, and we try to talk sense into them, we see that their life's a train wreck getting ready to happen. And we try to talk to them and prevent maybe something bad from happening. Try to get them to turn to the Lord for their sin, uh, forgiveness of their sins. And they just, their mind is closed to it. They're de being deceived by the evil one. They're just simply deceived by the evil one. And until their eyes are opened, that's where they're going to stay. Amen. Verse 10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. We learn in this verse that the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he continually does it. As his primary role in his existence was to accuse the brethren, was to accuse you to God for every little mistake that you make. I've been learning that God doesn't critique me near as much as the devil does because we belong to Him. And I had this question that I jotted down just a little while ago. And I know you and I, most of us in here, I don't believe have a problem with this. But somebody listening may. When we constantly accuse or criticize our Christian brethren, whose playbook are we using? That's why Jesus said, we need to always re realize where we came from. I've never been perfect, and I'm not perfect today. It's just that I know the one who is, and I trust him. Now, I, absolutely, I believe in, in, in living a holy life and a righteous life and doing the things that we're supposed to do and refraining from the things we're not supposed to do. I absolutely believe in that. But that, th that can't get me to heaven. Only Jesus Christ and His sacrifice can get me to heaven. Amen. And so I realize that in myself. And that's why I can be more compassionate and have mercy on other people, especially Christians who are struggling. Maybe there's something that's tempting them right now and they're really struggling with it. I don't need to jump on their shoulders and beat them down and browbeat them. I need to lift them up and say, it's all right, we're going to make it together. I'll pray for you. I love you. Praise God. I don't want to be working for the devil and be accusing my brethren all the time. We see that's his job. That's what the devil does. He accuses the brethren. 
the people who all believe in God and Jesus Christ together. Amen. Amen. So that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. And remember, when we constantly critique or accuse our brethren, whose playbook are we using? Lord, forgive us if we've done it in the past and help us not to do it in the future. But help us lift up our brethren. Praise God. Hallelujah. Verse 11 says this, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto the death. And right here is such a, like I said, this one chapter right here could be like a summary of the whole Bible and even the gospel. Look what it says there again in verse 11. They overcame him by all their good works and all their piety and all their good stuff. Doesn't say that, does it? Look how it's worded. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Think about it this way. We overcome the devil and his fallen angels by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony, not of ourselves, but our testimony of him. Amen. I can't testify to my goodness because I can do real good today. <clears throat> I'll have a good day. I'll pray, I'll pray enough that I feel satisfied I've prayed enough. I'll read the Bible enough that I feel satisfied I've read it enough. And I'll be nice to people and I'll do all kinds of things. And I'll have a good day. And then tomorrow I'll turn around and fall on my face. And I'll be judgmental or have bad thoughts come in my head and all kinds of different things. And I'll have to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me for this. Help me to move forward. So... We don't overcome the devil by our own testimony of ourselves, but we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony of him. I wrote these down this morning as well. There's a lot of things coming to me this morning once I got to church here. Not our prayer life, not our fasting, not our worship, and not our good deeds, and not our service to our others, service to others. Those are all important things. Those are good things for us to practice. Not tell us we don't worship and we don't pray and we don't fast and we don't whatever. Whatever we do, that's fine. But our overcoming the devil has nothing to do with those things. It says here in the Word of God that we overcome the devil and the fallen angels by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony of Him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Not of our sanctification, but by the blood of the Lamb. The Old Testament says, put your trust in the Lord. The New Testament says, put your trust in the Lord. The Lord Jesus said, put your trust in me. All the apostles testified, put your trust completely in Jesus Christ and not yourself, not your own testimony, not any of those things, but in Him and His shed blood. Praise God. That's where the victory's at. Praise God. And that's how we'll overcome. Praise God. Hallelujah. Our witness should be about Jesus and what He accomplished on the cross. Our testimony should be about Jesus and not ourselves. Our trust should be completely upon Jesus and His victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. I have defeated none of those things. Think about this little list. Four things. Sin, death, hell, and the grave. I can't beat none of them. But I know the one who did. And he abides with me and he helps me along each and every day. And that's why I testify to his blood and my testimony is about him and his sacrifice because he defeated them all four, hallelujah, in one swipe, boom, hallelujah. 
When he died on that cross and rose the third day, he defeated all four of them right then. Hallelujah. Instantly they were defeated. Praise God. And here where you and I are, no matter how sanctimonious or how sanctified we think we are, we do not have victory over none of those four things in ourselves. Only in Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Verse 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has uh, a short time. There's coming a day when the devil's going to be unleashed. Verse 12 right here tells us that. There's coming a day. See, he's restrained right now. He's on a leash. There's a resistance to what the devil's doing, and that's called God and the Holy Spirit and the church. Amen? What Jesus Christ is doing right now in the earth, that's through the church. There's a resistance. But through the time of the tribulation, when the church has been taken away, the resistance is also being taken away. And it says here that he's going to be unleashed. And he's going to do whatever he wants to do. That is a scary thought. That's why the Bible says this. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. If people won't turn to Jesus now when it's easy, they're definitely probably not going to turn to him after this time happens when the devil's just been unleashed to do whatever he wants to for as long as he wants to. Amen? Amen. Now these next few verses from 13 down to 17 are very interesting. And I'm just going to give you a couple things that tie into history. And the things I'm going to talk to you about are just simply shadows or allegories uh, to what is going to happen. What's going to happen in verses 13 through 17 are going to happen in the future, okay? I'm not sitting here telling you today that they've already happened in full scale. I'm saying we've seen a shadow of these things so that when they do happen, the, the people are going to know, hey, you know, the Lord's been trying to show people for a long time this was going to happen. So I just want to go through these few verses for a few moments and show you things and how some things happened in history uh, that tied right in with this ver these verses. Verse 13 says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now because of Jesus' victory over the devil, he will then turn and persecute Israel with a relentless persecution. He can't undo what's taken place in heaven, and he has no place there, see? That's what's happened. When he got kicked out of heaven, he can't go there anymore and accuse the brethren. He's been thrown out. His place has been taken away. So since he can't undo that, he does the, the only thing he has left that he can do, and that's to turn and persecute the people of God who are still here on the earth. We learned a few weeks ago that there are going to be people get saved through the tribulation period. We learned about all those Israelites that are going to be saved, 144,000 of them, okay? And then there's going to be a number of Gentiles and nobody can know. There will be people saved during that time. But the devil's going to turn and persecute these people in verse 13. Verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. I want you to think about this. This is just simply a shadow of this that is going to happen in the future. In 70 AD, the Jews were scattered all through the territories of the Roman Empire. And pretty much the Roman Empire is what we call Europe today. 
European continent, basically, was what we call it mostly. Through this, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was preserved. They survived and did very well for themselves early on through those time frames. Even though they were scattered and taken out of their land, they were preserved in all these different territories they were taken. And see, it's going to be something similar to that take place in the future. There's going to be a great persecution arise. They're going to have to be scattered and taken to a place privately and, and where it's just them, basically. And they're going to be taken well care of until the time of the end. So that we see that that has actually happened before as a shadow. Verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now Jews or Jewish people or the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Israel, those who were living in Europe in the late 1930s through 1945 during the Holocaust were uh, persecuted severely. And I'll tell you how good of a shadow that the Lord showed us in that time frame. From the time, I can't remember the exact dates now, I didn't jot those down, but I have looked at this before. From the, from the first time Jews were rounded up and started being put in concentration camps until the last one was liberated was a period of seven years. It kind of sends a chill down your spine that, that what God has said, it's going to happen exactly the way He said it was going to happen. But anyways, they were persecuted severely in this time frame. Many were rounded up and taken to concentration camps to be killed in gas chambers or starved to death. Others were just murdered like animals, led to slaughter just killed them and threw them over the hill. The estimate right now, is, from what they think, is probably way more than this, but this is a fact that they do know, that six million Jews were killed during this period. You see, when the serpent issued that flood out after the descendants of this woman, the people of Israel, it was severe. I want you to think about six million people over the course of seven years being slaughtered not just because they had done anything wrong, just because of who they were. Hitler had a hatred for them that was unbelievable. And if for some reason, it was just them that he wanted to annihilate. He wanted to rule everybody else, but he wanted to just annihilate them. He didn't want them to exist anymore. And you see the hatred that was in him was just like from this dragon right here. You see what was motivating him. The goal Hitler set was to annihilate the Jewish people completely and to wipe out every single descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very good shadow of this that's going to happen. Verse 16. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up, opened its mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. When it says in verse 16 that the earth opened uh, earth helped the woman and opened up its mouth. Think about this from history back in 1945, 44, 45, and that time frame. Eventually, most of the nations during this era stepped in and fought against Hitler and his allies and eventually stopped the flood that the devil had hoped would destroy the Jews. Not everybody that got involved in fighting against the Axis powers did it because they were trying to save the Jews. Now, a lot of them did it because they're trying to save their own skin, just like the United States. We waited a pretty long time to get involved, and not until it actually affected us did we get involved. But once those nations decided to get involved, it started to put a, slowed this flood down, didn't it? And they said that the United States was, was the, the, the catalyst that got these concentration camps shut down. They liberated several of them. Verse 17. 
the nations who helped in essence swallowed up the flood. Since then, Jewish people have had relative peace uh, from the whole world. When you hear the word anti-Semitism, that's a term used for people who hate Jews. And there definitely are still groups of people who hate Jews just because they're Jews. But generally speaking, the world or the nations of the world all condemn the hatred and persecution of Jews. And we see that that ties us into this last verse. Like I said, these were just shadows, but all this is going to happen again. Verse 17, and it says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Once the devil realized he couldn't destroy Israel, he set his sights on the rest of Israel's offspring. You know it says that we've been grafted in. It says that we've been adopted. So us who believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? We're also the offspring of this lady clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. We're also her offspring. That means that he has set his sights, the devil has set his sights on Christians who keep the word of God and testify of Jesus Christ. Now this is a good point in history. In 1948, Israel miraculously emerged as a sovereign nation after nearly 2,000 years of being scattered with no geographical place to call home. They were just scattered all through Europe. There were a few here in America at that time too. But they were just scattered everywhere. They didn't have a geographical place to say, this belongs to us. A majority of nations at that time agreed that the land of Israel belonged to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the flood, in essence, was stopped. I want you to think about the irony. Three and a half years, see these are funny, funny numbers that come up, but three and a half years after World War II ended, and Hitler had taken his own life, the very people that he wanted to utterly destroy became a nation sovereign unto themselves. And the nations of the world recognized it and said, okay, yeah, we're good with that. A chosen people. Chosen by God. Amen. At about that same time, Christians in Europe, this is around 1948, Christians in Europe and especially in North America began to see persecution starting to happen. I want you to think about that. Christians were widely revered all from its beginning, even though people may not have followed Christianity, Christians were respected in our country and in all and in Europe, all up and through those times. But right after the nation of Israel became a nation, persecution of Christians in Europe and North America and really all over the world started to ramp up. What do you think's happening? Could it be, verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's happening. It's happening right now as a shadow of it. This persecution, though, that was happening was different. Instead of mass murder or secretly killing Christians, the devil now employs a new kind of persecution. We see it every day in our society. See, the world has changed a lot since the 1940s. People have become, I guess, a little bit more ethical, I guess you could say. And, and even when somebody does something wrong, we're very patient and very kind to those people. 
you know, the, the death penalty has mostly been outlawed and those kinds of things, even though a lot of people may have deserved it, we just say, well, we're just going to let them spend the rest of their life in prison. We don't want to take a life for a life. And so we see the world has changed a lot. So nobody would be okay with us just rounding people up and killing them because of what they look like or whose family they belong to. But the persecution has slightly changed, and you know the devil uses it, and we see it every day. He assassinates us in our character now in front of everybody. Think about this. I jotted this down this morning. We are persecuted through character assassination. If we truly testify to God's Word and to Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, we are labeled as bigots, haters, uneducated, or close-minded. You're having it happen more and more and more. Wonder who's behind that. It's the dragon, isn't it? He couldn't destroy Israel. He said, I'm going to go to the rest of the offspring. See what I can stir up there. And that's what he's doing. Christians' reputations are destroyed. We're labeled these things when that is not actually who we are. Most Christians I know are not bigots. They just tell you, look, there's certain things God says no to and we can't do it. That doesn't make us a bigot. We're just telling you the truth. But they'll ruin our reputations by calling us these things. Their reputations are destroyed, which affects their ability to hold jobs and even hold public office. Through the attitude of most people today, Christians are in essence marginalized and silenced in modern day society. People are okay with us having a biblical view of life as long as we keep it to ourselves. If we dare speak out, then persecution happens. You know, that's where our society's at. Oh, you church people, y'all can do whatever y'all want as long as you stay right here. Don't talk about that stuff on social media. Don't talk about that stuff in a public office that you might hold. Don't talk about that religious stuff, that Jesus stuff, Anywhere else but the church. Y'all just keep it at the church. They're fine as long as you keep it there. But when we speak it out in the open, like we're actually required to do, and to let our light shine, what does the devil do? Makes us look like the bad guy. Makes us look like something wrong with us. And so you see, even in this thing right here, he is persecuting the rest of the people who are the descendants of the offspring of this nation of Israel. And that's Christians living even right now today. Amen? But we take heart. Because Jesus said what? If they hated me, they'll hate you. That's all right though. I've overcome the world. Amen. That's what Jesus said. And in him, we're going to overcome as well. Praise God. So verses 13 through 17, they will happen again during the tribulation period. In that confined space of seven years, this is going to, these things will be accelerated. They're going to happen real quick. All these things we just read, verses 13 through 17, 1,260 days and 42 months, they're going to prophesy, the, the, the guys are going to prophesy that we talked about last week. They'll be much more compressed and in a short time frame, and God has given the world a shadow of what life will be like at that time. We've seen that the world is very capable of persecuting those who love God. We're seeing it happen today. But the Bible says another thing that Jesus told us to remember. When you see these things begin to happen, lift up your heads and rejoice for your redemption. Draw us near. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we have given your word today.
here in Revelation 12, we see God that the nation of Israel was chosen by God. And even her descendants are chosen by God. Doesn't mean everybody always does what's right, but it's chosen by God. And Lord, we learn through this verse and many others that those of us who believe in Jesus, even though we might not be Jews in the flesh, that we are still descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of Jesus' sacrifice. Because of your son, we're now included in the family of God. As it was said here earlier today, we were not a people, but now we are a people. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. And we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. So Lord, we give you thanks today that we as Christians who call upon the name of Jesus and our testimony is of him, we thank you, Lord, that we have victory in your blood. We thank you, Lord, that the blood of the Lamb has given us victory, and that is how we will overcome all things. We cannot overcome in anything we do ourselves, but our, our ability to overcome is all wrapped up in the blood of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this word reaches others today, that they'll take uh, heed of their life, and they'll examine their life and see how it is that they live and see what it is that they're doing, and see whom they're serving. We've seen here, Lord, a little bit in this chapter that the devil has a playbook, and there's certain things he does. He likes to destroy children as soon as they're born, and he likes to accuse the brethren. Help us, Lord, not to ever be guilty of such, such terrible things, and not be a servant of the devil, but to be a servant of the Most High God, and to profess, and to proclaim, and to uphold the things that are right and good in this world. Father, I pray for each and every person that you keep them safe until the next appointed time. May these words uh, ring true in our hearts today. May they stay, Lord, in our minds and we may reflect back when it's necessary to hear them and necessary to share them with others. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Keep everyone safe in this day in which we live, Lord, and help us to overcome the persecution we know is coming and will continue to come. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.